What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the first off-season edition of the Clips Combo Show. I'm your host, Joey Lynn, and yes, I have been taking a break from the pod during the off-season. I've really been trying to take a break from everything basketball-related during the off-season. I, of course, just finished my first season as a credentialed NBA reporter, and it took a lot out of me. The NBA season is a grind. I traveled twice to Phoenix, once for games one and two, and then again for game five. I was going to every practice. I was going to shoot-arounds. Obviously, I was going to every game, and it was a grind. It really was a grind, and with the way that this Clipper season went, uh, it was a, a, a mental and an emotional grind as well. There was just so much going on um, from week to week, really, especially uh, with the injuries going all the way down to the first playoff, first and only playoff series they played where they were going into it without PG and then lost Kawhi by game two. So it was just, it was a long season and it was a grind. I enjoyed every minute of it. It was a lot of fun and I'm super excited to do it again, but I definitely needed a break. So I've been obviously taking a little bit of a break from the pod, but I've also been away from Instagram, have been posting on there. I've really only been tweeting once every couple of days. I will try to only hop on there when there's something important to tweet about and, and to talk about because it was honestly uh it was much needed for me there's so much honestly negativity too in the NBA space and when you allow yourself to be consumed with that during the offseason every single day at least for me I think it was better to just take a little bit of a break but it was uh definitely time to get back on here there's been a lot that's gone on already this offseason and there's a lot that's about to go on with free agency starting here in just about three four days so I definitely wanted to get on here and break down one, like I said, what's already happened and two, potentially what's going to happen going forward. In terms of what's already happened, there was a very bizarre situation that the Clippers found themselves in when they tried to trade for Malcolm Brogdon as part of that three-team deal that was set to send Chris Stapps Porzingis to the Boston Celtics. Obviously, Marcus Morris, Amir Coffey, and the Clippers' 30th overall pick was supposed to go to Washington, and it fell through. It fell through for reasons that I don't think have been officially confirmed by anybody, but the reports as of right now are that the Clippers were concerned about Brogdon's injury history, about his current injury, and backed out of the deal. It makes sense why that would be the case, because of course the Clippers already have a very injury-prone team that's been an issue of theirs throughout the entirety of this Kawhi and PG era and even going back to Lob City. So I don't have that big of an issue with the Clippers wanting to stay away from Brogdon if they felt that his injury, because he he was hurt in the playoffs in that, in that uh, series versus Miami, he really wasn't effective, couldn't play a whole lot. So if they were worried about that and felt it was better to hold off, I get that. But that being said, it does hurt to see a trade like that fall through because on paper, it looked like a fantastic deal for the Clippers. You get rid of Marcus, which is addition by subtraction. You add the reigning sixth man of the year who shot 44% from deep and he can play on or off the ball. So he can play pretty much next to anybody. And I tweeted this out as well after that trade, before we knew that it had fallen through. With the Clippers acquiring Brogdon, as we thought that they were doing at that time, it looked as if it was really opening the door for them to move off of one of their guards, which 
Looks like it will probably be Eric Gordon. His guarantee date for his contract is tomorrow. At the time I release this podcast, it will be today. Or it could be Norman Powell, who reports are circulating about him, saying the Clippers might want to move his deal. So it looked as if one of those two guys was probably going to be on the way out with Brogdon coming in. And I didn't have a big problem with that if that was going to be the case. Because Brogdon is a lot more versatile than almost every single guard on the Clippers roster right now. Definitely both Norm and Eric, the two guys who would probably be the strongest candidates to be moved if the Clippers were bringing in another guard. Because like I said, he can play on or off the ball. He's technically a point guard, so he can make plays, but he also can play off the ball because he was one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA last season. So for that reason, I was super excited about the possibility of bringing him in, moving off of one of the more one-dimensional guards that the Clippers have, and then now having a guard rotation that doesn't have as many specialists. Because it was Michael Malone who said during the postseason that specialists don't thrive in the playoffs. You need guys who can do a lot of different things. And Brogdon, while he has his limitations, most notably with his health, is one of those guys when healthy. So I was really excited about the possibility of that trade. And again, I understand the injury concerns and I don't have a big problem with the Clippers having those same concerns. But Boston has already gone on the record. It was... uh, Brad Stevens, who had an interview just the other day, and maybe they're lying, maybe they're not, but they said Brogdon is expected to be ready to go for the start of next season. And if he is, and if he's playing well, unless the Clippers have another trade lined up that sends out Morris Coffee and a pick for something better than Brogdon, it's going to hurt if if all of a sudden he he duplicates what he did last season where he won six man of the year and he does it again next year and is relatively healthy because man, I, listen, I, I get, you know, we want younger guys on our team. That 30th pick was looking like maybe an opportunity to get somebody like that. And, you know, coffee has had flashes in the past, but Morris already fell out of the rotation last season. It took longer than it should have, but he finally did fall out of the rotation. Coffee was never in the rotation. I think it's, it's highly unlikely that, well, they selected Kobe Brown, but whoever it was that they were going to select with that 30th overall pick, it was highly unlikely that they were going to be in the rotation next season. So essentially, the Clippers were sending out three players, you know, obviously one being whoever they would have selected with that 30th overall pick, who weren't going to be in the rotation for the reigning sixth man of the year, who, in my opinion, was going to be a great fit on their roster. So that was tough, man. That was really tough to see that fall through. I think you had to trade Morris already, but I feel like you really have to trade him now because he knows that his name has been in not just trade discussions, but in pretty much an agreed upon deal almost to to head to Washington. So uh, I don't know what it's going to take to be able to move his expiring deal. It's only 17 million, but you know, you see with the way teams are trying to navigate around the new CBA rules, even taking on expiring. Sometimes they might, request a a second attached to that so we'll see what that looks like but it was a bummer to miss out on that even with the health concerns in my opinion and as big of a deal as that was it might not have even been the biggest Clippers related news that we've had this offseason and perhaps not even the biggest Clippers guard related news we've had this offseason because as I'm sure all of you guys saw for several weeks the Clippers were linked 
to our old friend, Chris Paul. And that was not surprising to me because as we've seen throughout uh, the, the Kawhi and PG era, the Clippers have really been <laughs> intent on getting these older point guards next to Kawhi and PG, guys who were really good at one point, but maybe aren't quite as good now. And I also, when I say that, I want to make sure that I'm not including Russ in that category. I think too many people keep throwing Russ into like the John Wall, Rondo, Bledsoe category. Like I've seen that. I've seen people say, oh, Chris Paul is going to be, you know, it's another example of the Clippers going for an old point guard. You know, they did it with Rondo. They did it, uh, you know, with John Wall. They did it with Russ. And now they're doing it. Why are we putting Russ in that category? Like, yes, of course, Russ is an older point guard who is past his prime. But did we not see the things that he was doing last year when the Clippers asked him to be a number one option? This was the guy that was going out there and, and gave you two 30-point games in the playoffs when he was asked to because the Clippers were without Kawhi and PG. And this is a guy that when Kawhi and PG were out in Memphis, he gave you another 30-point game. He averaged over 30 in the three games, scored 30 in every single one when the Clippers needed him to. And I get it. In a sense, the Clippers going after Russ is kind of similar to them wanting to go after some of these older point guards, but it's not even close to the same level of production that you're getting from a guy like that, that you'd be getting from obviously a guy like CP or in the past guys like John and, and guys like Rondo. So I think it's kind of disrespectful to throw his name into uh, that category. So when I'm talking about that, that's not who I'm talking about. You guys obviously know that I want Russ back, and we're going to be getting into that here shortly. But with the CP interest, it was very, again, not surprising to me, but still bizarre at the same time, because I felt like he was the exact opposite of what the Clippers needed. He's old. He's injury prone. He does not push the pace. His offense has really fallen off a cliff. So he is not the same guy. Definitely that he once was, but he's not even really the same guy that he was at the beginning of his son's tenure. And even if he was, the injury concerns are still there. Chris Paul was not healthy when the Phoenix Suns were eliminated from the playoffs by the Denver Nuggets. He was sidelined for the majority of that series. So you're telling me that you feel comfortable going into a season with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Chris Paul in your starting lineup when all three of those guys were sidelined due to injury when last season ended. That made zero sense to me, especially if the Clippers backed out of the Brogdon deal over health concerns. That really would have made no sense. And were the Clippers strongly going after CP and then they got blindsided by Golden State coming in and they actually did want him? Maybe. But in my opinion, if that's the case, the Warriors bailed him out. And I actually don't even think it's going to be that bad of a fit on the Warriors. I think it could actually be a decent fit. But still, even keeping him away bailed them out, in my opinion. So that's how I felt about that. It just didn't make any sense to me, especially if they still plan to bring back Russ. I didn't think it was going to be the worst thing in the world to have a point guard rotation of Russ and CP, especially considering what the Clippers started last season with when they had John and Reggie. But it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Russ probably isn't going to be coming off the bench. CP has never came off the bench ever for one single game in his NBA career, probably never once in his life. So it didn't make sense to have those two guys on the same roster and in the same point guard rotation. I think it could have been fine, but I don't think it would have been optimal. And at this point, we're trying to optimize this roster. Chris Paul 
would not have been that guy. So I've already suggested it. I've already alluded to it. I want to talk about Russ because there has been so much back and forth on Clippers Twitter this summer about Russ. And I wrote a pretty extensive article about Russ and about why the Clippers should be bringing him back. And I think I made a lot of strong points in that piece. If you guys uh, go to my Twitter account, it's maybe like three, four, five tweets down at this point. You could scroll and find it. Um, I talked about a lot in that piece. I talked about so many different things. I talked about the fit next to Kawhi and PG. I talked about the off the court fit with his leadership. And if you guys haven't read that, I definitely would encourage you to go read it. You know, but for those who haven't, I do kind of want to summarize some of what I was talking about because to me, I think these are some of the things that you just simply can't look past. There are things that you can't find in any other player. There are things that he does that other people not only won't do, but just flat out can't do. And it, I saw it up close last season. I, I really did see it up close last season. And I think it's something that um, unless you were in the locker room or unless you were around these guys every single day, you probably couldn't have gotten the full grasp of, of what it what it was that Russ was doing on a regular basis, which is why I try to report it. And I talked about it on a recent podcast. I was on the Locked On Clippers show and I talked about it. But uh, the things that I saw Russ doing every single day as a leader aren't things that were for the camera. They were things that I observed from being in the locker room or being in the practice facility and things that I also gathered from just talking to his teammates, both on and off the record. So that's kind of the off-court stuff that I hit on during my, uh, my excuse me, in my article and also during that Locked On episode. Um, but there was also a basketball fit that I talked about because you could be the best locker room guy in the world, but if you're a bad basketball fit, then it's just not going to work. And one of the things I talked about was a comment that Terrence Mann made on a recent podcast where he said the Clippers were really starting to figure out how to play together after that five-game winning streak that came the first five games of Russ's tenure. Because so many people were freaking out those five games, right? Like, Russ is ruining the Clippers. They're 0-5 with Russ. But as Terrence mentioned, and I think it was wise of him to say this, it wasn't just the addition of Russ that the Clippers had those first five games. They had lost Luke. They had lost Reggie, lost John, and they brought in Eric. They brought in, obviously, Russ. They brought in Bones, and they brought in Mason. So it was a drastically different team than what they had pre-All-Star break. And now they put Russ into the starting lineup, take Terrence out of the starting lineup. You mix in a three-guard group off the bench with Bones and, and with Eric and with Norm. And then you got Mason in the mix. So that was a lot for them to figure out. And again, something that I mentioned in my article, something that people weren't really talking about, was the fact that Zoo missed four of those first five games after the All-Star break. So that was forcing Mason into the starting lineup, who was not a good defender. And it really was not a good indication of what the Clippers could do as a group because obviously... Zoo is going to be their starting center as long as he is on the team. So to try to draw any major conclusions from that five-game sample size where Zoo missed four of them, I didn't think made a lot of sense. Now, I talked about this in my article, but I want to bring up the numbers on this podcast as well. The numbers really did affirm man's statement that the Clippers were starting to figure it out after that five-game losing streak. Because 
after that five-game losing streak, the trio of Russ, Kawhi, and PG, which is always something you want to be looking at, posted a plus 20.2 net rating, which is their point differential per 100 possessions. Now, even if you include those five losses to start their time together, the trio of Kawhi, PG, and Russ still posted a plus 5.2 net rating, which is pretty solid for a group that only got 10 games together. Now, when you throw Zoo into the mix, I think this is where you really start to see some encouraging metrics because the quartet of Russ, Kawhi, PG, and Zoo was not just solid overall, and they were solid overall. They had a plus 13.5 net rating in their minutes together, but they were really solid defensively with a 97.3 defensive rating. And of course, that is the amount of points that you're allowing per 100 possessions. Below 100 and definitely down there at 97.3, that's a very good mark. So the Clippers were a fantastic defensive team when they had Russ, Kawhi, PG, and Zoo on the floor together. So there is so much potential there with these lineup combinations, particularly those that you would be most likely to see if you brought Russ back, that I think there's some real reason for optimism about the fit of this particular group if they get a full training camp together and a full season to grow. So that was the basketball fit that I talked about in my article. And, you know, there's a lot of people who think Russ might not be able to come back because of the contract situation. I understand where people are coming from. He definitely played himself into a bigger deal than the Clippers could offer him. He is worth more than a minimum contract. There is no question about that. But in terms of what Russ may be prioritizing at this point in his career, I know he would like to get paid and deserves to get paid. But if he stays with the Clippers, he's home. It's a good fit for him basketball-wise, cultural-wise. He's a leader on this team. They want him to be a leader on this team. His family is here. There's a lot of different things that I think would lead him to want to stay. And as it pertains to the contract situation, again, I completely agree with those who say that Russ deserves more than the minimum or whatever the Clippers can offer him. I think it's like a little over three million for, for one season. But you look around the league, what contenders really have more than that to offer? There aren't many contenders that have more than veteran minimum contracts to offer in free agency. So when you start looking around the league and you're looking, you know, you're looking at potential fits for us, I don't really see a team out there that makes more sense than the Clippers for him. Because yes, he deserves to get paid, but unless he wants to go to a team like Houston or a team like Detroit and, and just maximize his payday, there's really not a contender out there that has the cap space to give him what he deserves while also giving him an opportunity to be the starting point guard on a championship contending team. So for that reason, I really do think it, it, it's, it's looking like Russ is going to be back. That's not sourced. That's not based upon any intel. That's just strictly based upon the developing trends that I see in what Russ would like, what the Clippers would like, and what's available out, out, out on the market for him. I truly do think all of that points towards him being back. Now, if that is the case, and Russ does come back, that leads us into a pretty heavily debated topic on Clippers Twitter and in the Clippers world over the last day or so. And that's this idea that 
re-signing Russ means that Terrence Mann is automatically slotted into a role that is far smaller than what he should have. Because when you look at the way Terrence Mann was utilized last season, myself and so many smart people who watched the team believe that he was underutilized and that he should be playing more. That's been one of the primary offseason talking points for Clippers fans. But one of the other primary offseason talking points has been the desire that so many fans and people like myself have to bring Russ back. So there's this idea that's been floating around over the past couple of days that you can't have both. You can't have Russ back and also have Terrence in a role that is appropriate, in a role that is large enough to maximize his ability. And to put it quite simply, I disagree. I do not think that that is the case. I do not believe that re-signing Russ means that Terrence is automatically relegated to a role that is far smaller than one that he should have. Now, let me get into why. The first reason is that Terrence's minutes fluctuated all season long. On opening night, he played four minutes. And we saw throughout the course of the season, pre-Russ edition, that Terrence had his minutes fluctuate all the time. He'd be in the rotation, closing games, and then he'd be out of the rotation, playing four minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. And fans would be wondering, what the heck happened? Why is Terrence out of the rotation again? This was something that was happening pre-Russ. Now, let me be clear. I understand the development that happened post-Russ as well. Because right before the Clippers acquired Russ, Terrence was the starting point guard playing starter minutes, and he and the team were thriving with him in that role. And then once the Clippers acquired Russ, Terrence's minutes went down significantly. I understand that that is what occurred, but I also want to add a little bit more context to that development and say this is not something that just happened all of a sudden. It wasn't like Terrence was the starting point guard for the entire season and then fell out only as uh, only because Russ was in the mix. His minutes were, in my opinion, poorly managed throughout the course of the season. But again, that said, that is something that occurred. Terrence was thriving as the starting point guard in a starting point guard role with starting minutes, and then those minutes went down once the team acquired Russ. So because of that, what's the solution? In my opinion, the solution is starting Terrence next to Russ. You start Russ, you start Terrence, you start PG, you start Kawhi, you start Zoo. That's your five-man group going into next season. In my opinion, that is the solution. And when you look at the numbers, it's incredibly disappointing that those five guys only played seven total minutes together last season. Now, that's partially due to the fact that PG went down in that OKC game and was out of the lineup for an extended period of time. Of course, as I already mentioned, Zoo was out of the lineup to start Russ's time with the Clippers. Kawhi, of course, was not available every single game. But still, the fact that those guys only played seven minutes together, that five-man group, is incredibly disappointing because I don't think you had an opportunity to see one of your, in my opinion, potentially best lineups on the floor for any significant amount of time. So there was a lot of things that went into that, of course, with, with Marcus being the starting power forward and, and him kind of having a, you know that spot locked down. There wasn't really an opportunity for a guy like Terrence to get into that starting lineup 
and play alongside those four guys. And of course, nobody agrees that that should have been the case, but that was the case. So that group hasn't gotten extended run together, but because of some of the metrics that we've already seen with, again, I talked about the fit of Russ, Kawhi, PG, and Zoo being a really good one, along with Terrence's ability to fit in with any group. I truly believe you have something there with that lineup. Now, there are some rebuttals to this solution, and I didn't really think of a lot of these until I saw them on the timeline over the last couple of days, but because I've been seeing them and because some of them are you know, kind of being considered real possible problems, I want to give my solutions to those and my, my response to those. And the first one is, is fit concerns with Terrence and Russ. I saw that thrown around over the past couple of days that if you start Terrence next to Russ, is, is that really the best fit for him? And I think one of the things that's interesting about that concern is we all praise Terrence for his versatility, and rightfully so. And we praise his ability to thrive in any lineup. And we praise his, his adaptability and the fact that he does so many different things, much like Bruce Brown does in Denver, like we saw help win the Nuggets playoff games just this past postseason. So we all talk about that with Terrence and about how versatile he is and about how adaptable he is and how he can play in any five-man group. But now all of a sudden he can't fit next to one of the greatest playmakers of all time when he's a great cutter, a great finisher, a great catch-and-shoot guy. How is that not a player that can't fit next to Russ? Now, I get he's not your stereotypical two-guard, putting my fingers in quotes, but he does so many things well that, in my opinion, perfectly complement a player like Russell Westbrook. Now, going back to that that two-guard thing, right? You want to have a team around Russ that opens up the driving lanes. That's when he's at his best, when he has space around him. You're already going to have a a, a non-shooting threat in Zoo out there, so you definitely don't want to have another one. But Terrence is not a non-shooting threat. Again, I understand he's not your stereotypical two-guard, but he is a great catch-and-shoot guy. Terrence shot 39.9% on catch-and-shoot threes last season. And if teams decide that they want to leave him wide open to help on rust drives or to double Kawhi or to double PG, he shot 53.3% on wide-open threes last season. And he's fantastic at attacking open space. How is that a guy that can't fit next to Russ? It makes no sense to me. It really makes no sense to me. I think that's the perfect guy to put next to Russ, Kawhi, PG, and Zoo. He can defend. He can attack open space. He can knock down shots. He battles on the glass. He cuts. He's one of the only Clippers players that actually moves off the ball offensively. He does so many things well that, in my opinion, perfectly complement Russ. So that's the first argument that I've seen against starting him next to Russ, Kawhi, PG, and Zoo. The second, which I understand to an extent, is the potential risk of sliding Kawhi and PG up a position and the possible health concerns of having PG go from the two to the three and Kawhi the three to the four. Now, I get why people would say that. Because in a vacuum, it makes sense. But are we really sure that in 2023, sliding from the two to the three and the three to the four is that big of a difference? Because I've seen people say that we don't want Kawhi banging down low with other fours. 
which team in 2023 has a four who's putting my fingers in quotes, banging down low? That's not really a thing anymore. This isn't a decade ago where you got Blake Griffin playing the four next to DeAndre Jordan and Zach Randolph playing the four next to Mark Gasol or, or Pau Gasol playing the four next to Andrew Bynum. Like, th- th- this is not something that we really see anymore. You have a few teams who have physical fours who play down in the paint, and most of the time, you know, those are going to be guys like Giannis, guys like Siakam, where you can guard those guys with a center because they're not really going to step out and hurt you much beyond the three-point line. So this idea that sliding Kawhi to the four would all of a sudden be like this massive physical change for him, I don't really see that. And I think you can even make the argument that moving up a position and not having to slide with some of these smaller, more agile, quicker players would be better from a health standpoint than guarding some of these more standstill fours that, I mean, if you look across the league, a lot of teams are starting a power forward who is primarily in a floor spacer role. The Clippers had it with all of their power forwards, Marcus, Nico, Roca. like those aren't physical guys. Those are guys who are standing out on the perimeter and spacing the floor. I mean, you look across the league, there's a lot of teams who are utilizing their power forward position in that way. Now, again, I've mentioned it. There are some exceptions. There are some exceptions in the Western Conference. Obviously, a guy like Aaron Gordon uh, on the championship Denver Nuggets is a little bit more physical than maybe some of the other fours across the league. Not really a guy that I think you're going to have to worry about, you know, banging down low with in the post. Not really going to post him up a whole lot, but he's a little bit more physical. Zion is definitely one that you're going to have to worry about. AD, if they decide to play him at the four instead of the five. Jaron Jackson Jr., same thing if they decide to play him at the four instead of the five. But even then, it is not the same as it used to be. These are all guys that play a lot outside of the paint as well. And if you feel, whether it be in a playoff series, whether it be for a single game, that a matchup with one of those guys is just something that Kawhi cannot handle, then switch your lineup or switch your matchup. Because again, this is assuming that you're even having your four guard the other team's four or your three guard the other team's three. Because that's not even something that we see all the time either. It's not necessarily a situation where it's like 2K that your starting power forward has to guard the other team's starting power forward. That's not really how it goes all the time. This is a different game in 2023. This is not the NBA of even a decade ago where the power forward position is something that is super physical bully ball down low. You almost don't see that at all in 2023. So I don't completely understand that argument because you look around the league, especially in the Western Conference, What fours are going to really be that much different for Kawhi to line up against than the threes that he's been guarding over the last few seasons? I just don't think that that's a strong enough argument to say you you can't play Terrence in this starting lineup because, you know, Kawhi is going to fall apart physically if he has to slide up and play the four. I don't really get that. Another side of this, this topic that we're on, when it comes to Kawhi playing the four, is, is the rebounding side of things. And people are saying, well, you know, you, you slide Kawhi up to the four. You know, it's asking him a lot. You know, you're asking a lot of him on the glass. One, you're already asking a lot of him on the glass, and he's a great rebounder. Ty Lue has talked about it extensively. He only likes playing small ball when Kawhi is healthy because he's such a good rebounding. So I don't really think that that's big of a concern, even if that was the case. But I think you can make the argument 
that it's not the case. I think you can make the argument that sliding Terrence into the starting lineup in place of Marcus Morris actually provides less of a burden for Kawhi and PG on the glass than if you kept Marcus in the starting lineup. Because Terrence averaged more rebounds per 36 minutes last season than Marcus Morris did. In fact, only John Wall, Brandon Boston Jr., Luke Kennard, Norman Powell, Reggie Jackson, Amir Coffey, and Eric Gordon average less rebounds per 36 minutes on this Clippers roster than Marcus Morris last season. So this idea that taking, again, putting my fingers in quotes, a traditional power forward out of the lineup in place of Terrence Mann is now all of a sudden going to make, you know, Kawhi and, and PG be forced to be like, you know, prime Dennis Rodman on the glass. I, I don't get that either. Because some of the numbers will say that Terrence Mann is actually a better rebounder than Marcus Morris. So I just don't think these are strong arguments, you guys. I really don't. And I look at some of the, the arguments that are being made against bringing Russ back. And, and when you put them up against what the data shows and, and, and what we've already seen, I just think they fall apart pretty quickly. And especially when it comes to this perceived inability to have Terrence Mann in the starting lineup next to Russ, because I just haven't seen a strong argument against why it could work. And if there was one, I think it, I think it would be that Ty Lue just simply won't utilize Terrence properly if he's not forced into doing that. That, in my opinion, would be the only, putting my fingers in quotes, strong argument against the possibility of Terrence and, and Russ coexisting in an optimal way. But if that's the case, I, I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, really? Like, is that going to be our argument? Because if so, I mean, just make that adjustment, right? And I get it. We saw a full season last year where, where Ty struggled to do some of the things that we thought were pretty obvious. But man, it's a hard sell for me to say you can't bring back Russ and also have Terrence on the roster because Ty Lue doesn't know how to handle that. that that's a tough one for me, you guys. I don't know about that. If you're in a situation where you have to force a coach, you have to remove valuable assets from a coach in order to, to, to make him play optimal groups, like, like what are we doing at that point? Uh, listen, I know Ty Lue struggled last year, and I know that there were some things that he certainly could have done better. But I, I'm definitely not on board with this idea that you can't bring back Russ because there's zero chance in the world that Ty could utilize him alongside Terrence Mann. I just, I just can't get there. I can't get there. And that's not even really the argument I, I'm seeing being made. If it was, I would probably go a little bit harder in, in, in you know, going back and forth on, on that talking point. But that's not even the argument that I'm, that I'm seeing right now. I'm seeing... This, this talking point about Terrence not being a good fit next to Russ, and I'm seeing this talking point about it not working because then Kawhi and PG have to slide up a position. So those are the two I want to focus on the most because, one, they're actual basketball discussions, whereas this other one is more so just about Ty and what he, 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 he will and won't do. And they don't make any sense to me. They, they just flat out don't make any sense to me. So that is where I want to leave things, you guys. There's, there's more that I could have gotten into on this episode. Of course, there's a lot of trade talk about what the Clippers might do and what they might not do. 
But I'm going to save that for another time. I think there's a lot that's going to change in between now and when I want to record next. When will that be? We'll see. I'm not going to commit to a regular schedule uh, this summer in terms of when I'm going to be recording. I'm just going to kind of release off-season podcasts when it feels right, when stuff's going on, when there's stuff like this I want to address. Um, but once the season comes back, I'll, I'll definitely get back into the swing of doing it every week or every other week and have kind of a, a set day that way. So that way you guys know, know you know, when, when to expect an episode from me. If you're listening to this, man, I really appreciate you. Obviously, I haven't been uh, around uh, much this summer in terms of my usual content. So if you're tapped in, that means that you're somebody that really rocks with me and really supports me. So that definitely means a lot, especially if you're still listening here. What are we at, like 40 minutes now, 35 minutes? So if you're still listening, you're definitely a real one. So I appreciate that, you guys. I will be back soon. Like I said, when will that be? I don't know, whenever it feels right, but I will be back soon. I definitely want to give you guys some stuff throughout the course of the offseason, especially assuming that uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about here going forward. So I appreciate you guys. As always, much love and go Clippers.